R.J. Melman grew up working in his family's restaurants, and since 2017, he has served as president of Chicago-based multi-concept group Let Us Entertain You Enterprises. Let Us Entertain You, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year, currently has 110 restaurants through 60 different concepts in 12 states. Melman joins the Buzzworthy Brands podcast to talk about how his company comes up with new concepts, the difficulties of creating virtual brands, and what he has learned from restaurant failures over the years. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Can you just uh, start off by introducing yourself and, and telling folks who maybe don't know about your, your career, just, just uh, some of the highlights? Yeah, good morning. This is uh, RJ Melman. I'm the president of Let Us Entertain You Enterprises. We are a independent restaurant group based in Chicago uh, that is celebrating our 50th year this year. I have been working in this industry for a good chunk of my life. My uh, dad, Rich Melman, is uh, the founder of the company, which started as a restaurant in 1971. Uh, I've been working uh, odd jobs through my whole teen years, starting in the 11 or 12, working at the original Bub City on Weed Street as a busser and working up uh, my way to a prep cook and line cook uh, in my later teen years, uh, where I worked uh, in and through college, I worked at Chili's, uh, working as a line cook and finally became kind of a, a sous chef and a kitchen manager uh, outside of uh of school. And then uh, when I was about 23, 24, I started managing um, the front of the house where I worked my way up through the company up to becoming a partner in 2008 um, and have opened probably 20 restaurants or so with the company. Um, and now uh, was promoted to president in 2017 and uh, am happily running uh, this organization, which I love and it's been a family business. I'm lucky to work with my brother and sister, Jared and Molly as well, and continuing to work with my dad as well. That's outstanding. Well, thank you so much. And and uh, just to give people a sense, like as of today, how many different concepts and different restaurants does, does Let Us have going? Yeah, Let Us Entertain You, we have about 110 restaurants across the country. We're in 12 states. Um, we just opened our first restaurant in Texas at um, in Austin. We opened a restaurant called ABBA there. Uh, we, we have about 60 different concepts, if I didn't say that. Uh, so we do a lot of unique stuff. We do uh, restaurants from quick service dining, really quick service, uh, 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 and up to uh, at from time to time, we've had three-star Michelin restaurants. So we have uh, really a, a run the gamut and we love our esotericness and our ability to run lots of lots of different businesses. I, 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 that really does seem to be kind of the hallmark of your restaurant group. And I don't know whether uh, you all internally take it as a, as a compliment or not when someone is like, oh, I didn't realize this was like a lettuce restaurant. I thought this was just, you know, a little neighborhood independent. Yeah. No, it's place. interesting. We have so many loyal fans, right? We have just amazing customer base of just of people who, who love us and anything that we, um, that we do. And, um, but you, you're correct that we don't spend necessarily a lot of time advertising that this is a lettuce entertaining restaurant. Um, and maybe that is going to change a little bit in the future and giving a little bit more presence to it. But, um, I think that is a, actually a compliment that, you know, that we're a, a large organization, um, thousands of people and hundreds of restaurants, 
But we really do think small-minded about the individual restaurants. We don't think of them as a chain. We don't act like that. And, and that independence uh, does come through. And, and in, in fact, some ways we're competitive with ourselves. I think one of the greatest, you know, the most interesting things about lettuce is that, you know, we could have two restaurants on the block and they both want to, you know, they both want to succeed and, and sometimes beat each other in a, in a very healthy way. Uh, and uh, that culture, I think, is really important. That is what it's that entrepreneurialism that's sort of built in that says that we don't have a cookie cutter approach to things. We don't have, uh, we have core values that we share, but that doesn't mean that we always have to apply the same methodology for how to get there or even the same solution to things. So, you know, when you sit down at your uh, drafting table or however these things come to be and, and, are interested in creating a new concept. How, how does that process work for a company like yours? And what are some of the kind of like guiding, um, you know, lights guiding values that, uh, that drive that concept creation? Yeah, it's actually more simple than I think people think. And for us, it, it truly starts with food. Um, and I, I can name dozens of examples of concepts that really came out of a singular dish. You know, um, uh, we have a restaurant called Hub 51 and, and the first dish we worked on, it's one of our most famous items. It was my brother, my sister and I, our first restaurant we opened in 2008. And chicken nachos are, have been on the menu from the beginning. I know it sounds silly or maybe pedestrian of an item, but we worked on chicken nachos. We, you know, we said we want like, it's a great shareable appetizer. We there's like we want to have the best nachos in the city. We loved going out. We were in our our twenties at the time too. We were kind of building a restaurant about what we wanted to do and and we're passionate about. Which is probably the second portion of that. Which is we do projects we want to do. Um, but it started with that item, and then when we, when we nailed that, it like kind of sprung what the style of everything uh, that the restaurant looked like. And um, we have a concept that we uh, have sold a majority stake in called Wow Bao that was um, in our test kitchen where we do a lot of cooking and and one of the chefs put up a, a bao, you know, a, a Chinese bun that was filled with a, a meat filling of some kind. And it was an idea of an appetizer actually that was being worked on for another restaurant. And that was like the the, the light went off that said this, this bun, these bao, which are, you know, ubiquitous, a, a, a very popular food in China, could really be the start of something that not a lot of people are seeing in America and, and, and could be a whole concept of itself. And it's like that, that individual item, that one great item can be a springboard. And sometimes that item that you're working on doesn't even make the final menu. You know, it's like, it's like a, an idea point. You say, well, we have a beautiful refined pasta dish. It kind of doesn't matter if that refined, beautiful pasta dish ends up making RPM Italian, but it's the inspiration that starts at and everything starts with food for us. And then the second thing is, as I was saying, is that it starts with stuff we're passionate about. And I get questions all the time. Why, why don't we have a kosher restaurant? Why don't we have a, uh, you know, some more esoteric or limited food? And it's like, because that isn't my own personal interest. I love a lot of food. I, I love eating out. I, I, I experiment a lot, but it helps to have someone on your team or a chef or a, a partner or a manager that is so passionate about something that, that you want to work on something new. And, and 
we look for people who are passionate, uh, both on the culinary side, the operation side, and that makes it a whole lot easier when you love what you're doing and the food is great. I think it makes it great. And all of our palates have expanded over time. There's more availability of different cuisines. We might've been more narrowly focused in the seventies and eighties. And now we're doing, you know, we have Thai food and, 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 you know, big sushi restaurants and, and more um, aggressive flavors. But I think that is a product of how, how our chef's palates have evolved too. Sure. And, and what nurtures that uh, inspiration? Are, I mean, is this pre-pandemic life, I guess, from travels? Yeah, I, mean, or it, are you... it, it, I mean, it's not, it's our life in pandemic hasn't changed. We created, I think, nine or 10 virtual concepts uh, during this time that we are all running and, and with various levels of success during this time. Uh, two different pizzerias. Uh, we've brought back some older concepts or brought back the idea of some older concepts that may not be around anymore as brick and mortar restaurants. But our, our I think we have this like insatiable desire internally to evolve and to work on stuff. It 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 just doesn't stop. And it and it it's, it happens so often. It's truly out of myself, my father's, my brother and sister. Like it's out of our con- control at some point. You know, we have so many partners and so many talented people that, and people's tastes we trust. So I don't want to say that all of those food items, you know, come to me or Rich, uh, although we are, you know, certainly, um, and my brother and sister, we're, we're certainly involved in those heavily and always tasting restaurants. But, you know, when you have restaurants in Minnesota, I can't be there every day or, or Washington, D.C. Um, but there's that built-in creativity and, and like kind of standard of taste that we you know, that we have built into our culture. I, I don't have a better way to say it. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like you guys were really at the forefront of this virtual brands phenomenon. Well, I mean, well before the pandemic years before, and probably uh, were some of the earliest uh, restaurant operators who I heard about who were doing this sort of thing, which is like creating a wholly new uh, restaurant out of an existing kitchen, frequently using existing ingredients, um, you know, low kind of overhead. Talk about uh, what that evolution has been like and then, you know, lead into what, what you're doing during this pandemic time. Sure. We, um, you know, I think there's this, and I don't know what the actual right answer is, you know, and I think that the, the truth on ghost kitchens isn't going to be written in the next six months. What, you know, we're going to look five years from now or, mm-hmm. and, and see how this actually plays out. And I'm not uh, saying that we are prognosticators of exactly everything that's going to happen right in the world. Um, but for us, our creative process of creating a brick and mortar restaurant, like I said, is not any different than creating a virtual concept. They need to have a sense of place. It's very difficult to create something that people can't see and touch. And when your only interaction is digital, that, um, it's so much more important to understand that you're, you know, the website, the branding, the, the feel, the, the, the explanation on a Grubhub app or a DoorDash app or Uber Eats app, right, has to be um, kind of seamless. And, and you, in some ways, it has to be more exacting. When you look at, um, when you're in a restaurant and the menu's not laid out perfectly or self-explanatory, there's usually generally a server or bartender, someone there to guide you. But when you're when the experience is almost 100% digital, that guide isn't there. So you really have to think about those steps of service from a digital standpoint and really say, is this good 
you know, to borrow a tech term, user experience when you're doing it. But for us, the history of it, it I've been friends with the CEO of, of Grubhub for 10, 10 years or so, Matt Maloney, he's a great guy. And um, early on, we started having conversations, and this goes back four years ago, I believe, five years ago, about creating digital concepts uh, together. And, and we have an, a unique partnership with them that we um, are creating some digital content and think of it no different than Netflix has uh, original programming on them that you can't get on Hulu and you can't get on um, on Disney Plus. Uh, I think Grubhub views it the same way. And that's been a nice little partnership. We have three concepts, Padma's Curry Leaf, uh, Whole30, which is a, you know, a, a diet, a health diet, and uh, we're about to launch Gorilla Pasta uh, with them. And then the new iteration of that will be that other restaurateurs will be able to sell these menus as well around the country through Grubhub's uh, marketplace, which is pretty cool. So it'll, it'll go beyond just us running in Aragos Kitchens, but other people running it. Oh, interesting. So like take, I've written about the Whole30 one. So, so you have that Whole30 concept through Grubhub, but then somebody else out in Los yeah, so Angeles. We're developing the menu so it can be executed by other oh. people in a very easy way. So, and what without so packers are doing some of the prep for it and okay, and, and other and without going into like financial specifics, you might not want to get into uh, like what does that look like from a partnership standpoint? Like Grubhub gets a cut and you guys get a cut, and then well, Grubhub makes their money on delivering, you know, okay, uh, so that's that's their incentive to obviously deliver food and 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 that's that's their business model, and then um, ours is sort of built into uh, into various fees. Uh, uh, on the back end, like I said, I'm not really at liberty to discuss how that works, but sure. uh, you know, more or less. But the restaurateurs will have a chance to really um, make money on their side, right? With, with with fair price stuff that they can sell for themselves. Yeah, huh? Interesting. Um, so back to the concept uh, creation idea. Have you, over this long uh, career so far, have you and your uh, siblings ever had some just great idea that you thought was going to be a huge hit that just didn't resonate with consumers? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, uh, I think if you looked at the history of lettuce, it doesn't even have to be me and my siblings. Like there is uh, plenty of things that, uh, uh, concepts that we thought would be, no one is doing a concept, I want to back this up, to think that we're not going to be successful. So we're often uh, doing things that, uh, that's the problem with, uh, with experimentation and, and um, knowing that, you know, failure is like kind of not a destination, if that makes sense. Like, you know, there's different levels of success as well. And um, I can think of very clearly, uh, my brother and sister and I opened our second restaurant, which was called Paris Club, and it was a French restaurant, Young. I think I was at the opening of that place, in fact. Yeah. And you yeah. know what, it was wildly busy for the first couple of years. And, um, you know, if I could do it over again, I think it could still be busy, but um, it started to slow down. And I think we were, uh, it was our biggest restaurant uh, in, in sort of downtown, had a lot of seats. I don't remember how many it was, maybe 350, 400 for French food. And you say, well, maybe would we have been more successful? What maybe the idea was right, but maybe the place was too big. You know, you kind of end up, uh, did, did we, take too much, you know, space. Would this have been better if it was 160 seats and it 
still was busy to this day. You know, that that's like the the thing you make mistakes on all the time or, or did it just not resonate and we thought it was and or we didn't hit the mark on what the customer wanted. You know, it's not. Um, and sometimes your postmortems don't even understand why it didn't work. You know, you said, wow, the, the, the food was great. This was great. Why did it not come together? And, and you don't you don't always know. I mean, that's the hardest part. The nice thing is. And we sort of say this internally. There's really only three things a restaurant can be right. Wildly successful. A horrible failure or, um, you know, kind of middle of the road. And, and in some ways, middle of the road is the hardest because you don't know which way to go. You're like, well, if I could just do a thousand more dollars a week, I'm going to be making money. If I can, uh, you know, just do a little bit more and just get 10 more customers a day. And, you know, sometimes it's easier when you're like 200 customers a day for making money because you get it. You can pull the plug a little bit quicker. Uh, so how, when you do those postmortems, how much does that guide you in the creation of future concepts? Are you like, well, I mean, oh, heck I no, I'm never going to have another French place we again. We probably or? try to remember our mistakes a lot. And then we also probably at the same time, having a short memory, uh, allows us to keep trying stuff too. It doesn't allow us to be paralyzed. And we probably sometimes try that same idea, but repackage it, you know, I, 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 there's because our world is so um, has so many ideas and so many different concepts that there's not um, there's not uh, those post postmortems are helpful and not helpful if that makes sense. So you know you could try uh, why one item would work in an Italian restaurant but not at a steak restaurant. You know it, it's it's more complicated than just knowing that, but. We talk about it all the time. What do we think didn't work about this? But uh, you know, we're we're sometimes we're guessing too. I'd like to. I think people think that we're scientists and, and figure it <laughs> out. But I think the key is that that we don't stop changing. And when something doesn't work for three, four, five days, whatever it is, or you know, what, that we're always making adjustments. And that is probably the most critical thing I could teach anyone is that just living with something not working doesn't help either. So. Sure. It's not just going to magically write itself yeah. without doing anything. So uh, back to that scientific front, when you look at your concepts and you think about scaling them and growing them, how, is there some sort of uh, magic by which you know, hey, this uh, shouldn't just be a one-off thing. This should be in other cities. This should have multiple units. I mean, you get, you know, anecdotal evidence that people say, I love it. Can you, oh, you get emails that say, I'd love you to open one in Fort Myers, Florida. You know, you get, we get those all the time, you know, solicitations. I'd love to see another one. But for us, we're a conservative company. We don't think too often about having 30 of something or 20 of something. In fact, we've never really grown past 10 of anything. We 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 have sold, you know, concepts like in the 90s, uh, Corner Bakery and Maggiano's when there was... I think four corner bakeries and four Maggiano's, which now I don't know how many corner bakeries there are a few hundred and 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 seventy Maggiano's. Um, but those those our goal was not to open fifty of them or sixty of them, if that makes sense. And and so we had four, but we got to four by doing one, and then we did a second one, and that worked. And you did a third one, and that worked. And and I think that's how we work all the time, which is incremental. That we're just going to do one at a time, and as long as they're successful, we'll just keep knowing what to do. And and 
you know, the future, the pandemic might have changed some of our thinking a little bit that we might focus on, you know, a, a few less brands and and or, or have a little different balance of creating new. We always want to be creating new. I think in, in some ways it's the most rewarding, fun thing when you're shaping something from the ground up. It, it's our DNA is built to do that. Um, not just to knock out 30 of something or 50 of something. And so all day long, my partners, my siblings, we're talking about new ideas we could do. So, uh, yeah, that leads nicely into this pandemic and the impact that it has had, particularly on, um, you know, your uh, group of restaurants. Um, what have you done during this time to, to keep things rolling? And do you think the changes we're seeing now are going to be permanent or are these uh, are we all going to go back to the way things were before once the vaccine is? Exa- I mean, everyone wants to go back to exactly how things were. I think that'll be very difficult. Um, a, I think the recovery is going to be more gradual than instantaneous, right? So we're not going to snap our fingers and it's going to be February 15th and everyone's back to life. Um, the vaccine rollout is going to be... Um, I don't know how you say it, like, you know, incremental where, right. It's going to be half million people a day, you know, 200 days later, you're going to have a good chunk of the country vaccinated, but then we probably have to start that process all over again in the fall. Cause if it's going to have to happen every year, like a flu shot, I, I, and by the way, I'm, I'm not anywhere close to a medical doctor. So I don't uh, have any sense of that. So I don't think things go back perfectly. I think that restaurateurs around the country and us are no different than are saying, how can I operate differently? How can I operate more efficiently? You know, the federal government is gonna uh, certainly have some sort of post-mortem on, on this too, that says, what, what do we need to do different? How do businesses need to protect employees for it? I mean, the, the most tragic part of the whole thing is just the amount of people that are not with the company anymore. And, and that's an unavoidable, you know, I think casualty. And I remember even sitting in March and, and I mean, the word furlough didn't exist in Lettuce's HR vocabulary until March 16th. You know, like it didn't, it wasn't even an idea. There was no layoffs in 2008. There wasn't in 2001 when the, the terrorist attacks, when we had massive shutdowns in, in Las Vegas, you know, all those things recovered. No one imagined this would be a 12-month, 16-month ordeal. And so that is like the unavoidable aspect of trying to keep a company around for the future. We've tried to be compassionate and thoughtful and provide as much as we could with limited resources like everyone else, right? Our our resources are limited as a company. Um, So so that's there. And and, but, you know, I think it's going to, it, it has to make you think differently about how you look at locations, how you uh, negotiate real estate. I hope that answers your question. Um, but I, I think I think that changes here forever. But I think some of those changes are for the good too. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that, that it's tragic in the short term for a lot of people. So I want to make sure that's clear, but um, you know, shaking up how you, how you look at stuff, I, I, I think is, 
is probably going to be good for the industry. I mean, one of my favorite things about this is how much the industry has gotten together and talked to each other. I talk to restaurateurs across the country on a daily basis. And I think that everyone kind of sharing knowledge has been incredible. Sure. Do you think this will change the kind of uh, concepts that you look for, you know, going forward to have less, you know, fewer kind of full service sit down things more? Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's T, TBD, right? Yeah. It, I mean, we haven't even had full service returns. So it's hard to say how we're pivoting. We are certainly thinking about spaces differently. We like, you know, you value outdoor space more than you used to. Mm-hmm. You value, um, it might change how we negotiate leases in the future, but it hasn't stopped us. We've opened four or five rest, brick and mortar restaurants, I think, uh, since the pandemic started. Uh, so, um, and, and a lot of those were in, under construction or, you know, in process before March 15th. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, it's going to uh, change a little bit of how we how we think and how we do things. But um, I can't. I, I'm not even sure we know how that plays sure. out yet. We um, I, I, at the at the end of the day, I don't think that the overall consumer demand has changed in a, in a wide way. You know, I don't think that the pandemic has made people stop liking hamburgers or, or nachos. You know, it's like, uh, I just think we're, we're moving in a direction where we have to maintain flexibility and, and that flexibility. I mean, that's true for any entrepreneur to be, or for any restaurateur, uh, that ability to stay flexible and say, Oh my God, if what, what I'm doing doesn't work. You know, how do I, how do I evolve? If you're not evolving, you're, you're in, in trouble. We, we say internally, restaurants don't get tired, restaurant tours get tired. Hmm. And uh, you got to have a lot of energy. And, and by the way, I would be lying to, to you if I said that myself, our teams do not get tired during this time, right? It's like, there are days where it is depressing, right? You say I cannot, like, you know, it's day, day 5000 in my apartment. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like, and uh, but then you wake up the next day and say, "I'm going to be, I'm, I'm optimistic today. I think we're going to get dining back. I think we're going to move in that right direction. I think we're getting closer to a cure." Right? You know, I, I don't. Um, so I think good entrepreneurs and good restaurateurs and good are are mostly optimistic, and we try to be mostly optimistic. And then, but you, you know, if you're not evolving and not rolling with the punches and just staying, staying the course, it's going to be really hard. Sure. It, it must be tough to know though, like what to invest in and what's going to be a long-term change rather than, you know, just a short-term um, situational kind of fix. Of course. I, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's no right answer, right? We, the best thing about having 60 different concepts and different methods of how we look at things, you know, one of the greatest examples that we opened, um, we opened, we have a, a concept called Do Right Donuts. It actually sits outside of Lettuce Entertaining that my brother and sister and I own with a, a couple other partners. And um, we did our first drive-through. Uh, it opened in December, so we started construction sometime in August, uh, got a drive-through open. It's doing tremendously well. We had, no, we had six other Do Right Donuts, no, none with a drive-through. And we're gonna think about that differently. But you know what? We're gonna flash forward 30 years from now, I'm, you know, making up a time period. And what happens when cars are self-driving and or you know and and or 
people don't own cars anymore or they go away because, you know, you can have a, I'm, I'm, you know, feel like the Jetsons, you know, flying cars or whatever come about. And drive-throughs aren't popular. I mean, drive-throughs really had their moment this year, right? All these quick service brands with drive-throughs have, have had record sales uh, in a time where full service dining has been absolutely decimated. But there's going to be a time where that, that might get reversed. You know, the trend to driving is going to go away uh, for somehow. I, I don't exactly know how. Right? That like I said, I'm not a I'm not a futurist, but uh, I know In and Out Burger and and Raising Canes and McDonald's and whatever are going to have to figure out how to work in a world where their drive-throughs stop stop working as well as they do today. So uh, since you were talking about the, the the past and the future, I know that uh, you all recently have kind of resurrected some beloved uh, older concepts that are no longer around for uh, for sort of this virtual space. Can you talk about how those concepts have been chosen? And, and the best how, part about being around going. for 50 years is that you <laughs> have restaurants that uh, that have an end of life you know, not, not necessarily uh, because they didn't work. You know, sometimes the real estate stops being available. The landlord wants to redevelop the building and you're out of lease term. Or sometimes they just, you know, it's just time to re, to redo them. Um, so we had a restaurant uh, that was around for 17 years, Ben Powers, a Chinese restaurant in Chicago. And um, always did well. One of my partners, a, a gentleman named Amarit, uh, Julia Peibel, he worked there as a young manager uh, for us when he just started with the company. Uh, the executive chef, Jim Hovecki, uh, uh, still works for us, who was the executive chef there for the, basically the whole time it was open. And uh, it's, you know, when you're, you're talking about like, well, there's not, uh, there's room in the market doing a delivery only concept. You know, we have this this great history of recipes. People loved the food. It was great food, uh, but it had had a, its end of its life and its location. And um, but you still have the talent, and we have we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of the talent and the recipes and the food. And and at the same time, we're also updating them. You're, we're not just rolling out what was on the menu necessarily in in 1993. Taking the idea of Ben Powell, taking the the history of it, but also applying modern you know, modern thought to it and saying, what do we need to change about this to make this a viable concept? But the best thing about having, like I said, the 50 years of history is that we have a lot of, a lot of restaurants to pick from and a lot of nostalgia. And, and that gets, uh, uh, you know, a nice, uh, it gets us a nice base of, of people who are interested in things. For sure. For sure. Do you think you'll, we'll see more of those uh, in this kind of virtual space? Um, you know, I don't know how many more virtual concepts we'll be creating. Like I said, we did nine or 10 during this time. So, but yeah, I mean, we're going to, we are working on a, a few more things right now. So uh, our creativity won't stop. And sometimes these things just turn into, you know, local, uh, they, they could turn into brick and mortar restaurants. I think the most interesting thing will be if some of the virtual restaurants turn into brick and mortar beyond the pandemic, which I, I definitely see happening. Definitely. Yeah, that, that would be interesting to see. Well, I, I so much appreciate your time. RJ, is there anything else I should be asking you about? No, I'm, I, I am thrilled to talk and I uh, just thank you for thinking of us. So thank you very much. 